Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Okay, so I am going to share with you from Psalm 37, and I've entitled the, the talk this morning, A Personal Psalm of Hope. So I'm going to start by just reading us the psalm. It's 40 verses, so bear with me as I, um, I think I'm going to take a sip of water before I do that. Bear with me as I read it. I hope you have your Bibles um, and that you can, you can open up with me to enjoy the Word. So it is titled, He Will Not Forsake His Saints. It's a Psalm of David, and it goes like this. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and will wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, The wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times, in the days of famine. They have abundance, but the wicked will perish The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. 
The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. But the Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I've seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. Oh, I lost my place there when I looked at my beautiful wife, sorry. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. This is God's word. We respect it for its sovereignty and its everlasting power over our lives. So... Let's talk a little bit about the psalm. May his word be praised in your lives. Oh, sorry, sir. So I'm calling this a personal psalm. So firstly, a little bit of background. This is a psalm of David. It seems to have been written when he was in his old age. And it's obviously, as you can hear, it's a psalm of encouragement. Some think it was a psalm of encouragement to his soldiers. Um, so that's, the, that, that, that's who wrote it. It's a personal psalm because it deals with a very, very deep topic in all of us. The topic of righteous and good people look around in the world as they go about it, and they see the wicked prospering. They see evil people doing what they want, seemingly living lives, the carefree lives filled with whatever activities they choose to do, not, just not caring for anybody else, and it's easy for a righteous person to go, why should I bother? Why should I try? What is there? What, why is it that I should pursue this life of godliness when all I see around me is death, destruction, and people just doing what they want? Now, John Piper tells us that biblical hope, and I'm going to explain a little bit to you why I put biblical in front of hope, but John Piper says that biblical hope is the reservoir that we need to tap into when we are walking around in the world and seeing these things, and that is our source of strength. So we know the book of Job is full of us. Uh, you may or may not know, but the book of Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible, and no one really knows who wrote it. And it deals with this tension in us of, I, I, I see what's going on in the world. The, the Lord has come into my life. I have the Bible now, so I know the righteous way to live. But as I try to live it, not only do I encounter the wickedness in myself, but I look around me and all I see is wickedness and evil and just a world that d doesn't line up at all to this. So how must I deal with this tension? And, and this psalm is a very practical psalm. And this is David's version of, of him answering that same question, how to deal and how to handle this tension within myself, because it's an ever-present tension. It's, in some instances, it's a trauma. I think in, in the Bible it says somewhere that Lot was a righteous man and as he lived in those sinful cities, it kind of tormented him. So have you ever had that experience? Have you ever been doing something and seen something or had something done to you and it's really traumatized you? Have you, had that, have you ever had that experience? Ever felt that? Ever went like, what, 
what on earth? Why has this happened? So this psalm is about that. And our natural tendency in times like that is to become anxious when we're seeing things around us or when it's happened to me. It's to become anxious and stressful and to have inner turmoil. And the first thing that this psalm actually says, and it says it three times, verse 1, verse 7, and verse 8 is, do not fret. So our very natural tendency, which is to fret when you face that, this psalm immediately comes off the bat and says, do not fret. So what does it mean to fret? It means I'm constantly and visually anxious, uh, sorry, visibly anxious, I'm, I'm naturally troubled, and I'm worn down. Something is playing on me that's actually wearing me down. Just by the way, as a pause, you, you guys look amazing today. Hey? There's so much color, so much, so much variety. So uh, uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to stand up here and talk to you guys, just by the way. So um, where was I? So, so yes, our, our natural tendency is to fret, is to get into these loops within ourselves. And a synonym for, for fretting is like, it's, it's irritating, it festers. You know, can you think of something, it's a bit nasty to think about, but when something festers, you know, when it really starts really going bad and really like works at you. So this, the outset of this psalm is, please don't do that. Please don't fret. And at the end of verse 8, it gives a little hint as to why you shouldn't. And it says there, because it tends to evil. So the, the crazy thing in the natural world or in, in the natural life is I see these acts of wickedness and evil, I start to fret, and then it tends towards evil. So I start to drift towards the very place that at first offended me. And at first, um, it's, it's weird how life can work like that. I, I start to drift towards a place. So it says, don't fret because it tends towards evil. So and in the world, you can see it. People responding to injustices outside of God and outside of first seeking him and asking him, Lord, what should I do about this? They respond in, humanitarian, in, in human ways, and it gets worse. It doesn't get better. You know, it's like evil just morphs into something else. So we're not being told not to fret just because, you know, get a hold of yourself, you know, be strong. The, the, the reason we're told not to fret is because you that road actually leads you to the very thing that you were trying to keep away from, you know, that, that it offended you. So, so remember that. So what should we do? So biblical hope, our biblical hope, of course, if you're sitting here, is because you've placed your trust in Jesus. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's the foundation of my hope. So what does the psalm tell us to do? as a contrast, as if I'm not supposed to fret, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, this is what you're supposed to do. There in, you know, I need my glasses. Could I just, thanks for the next slide. So I've, I, I like to work with tables in, in trying to explain things. So that there's a few tables in here. But this psalm is quite detailed and quite practical and quite specific about very, very important things that you can do instead of fretting. And three, four, all those verses say, try, uh, you know, so let's take the first one, trust and do good. That's verse three. And what will the Lord do? Trust and do good and trust in the Lord and delight yourself in the Lord and give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean, of course, if I ask to be rich, God's going to make me rich if I trust in him. But what it means, of course, is as I delight myself in the Lord, I change. And then my desires become his desires. And so he gives me the desires of, 
of my heart, which are actually the desires of his heart. So all these things, can you see the important thing is, it's all the Lord. You're not asked to, um, you're not asked to do anything except trust in him, delight in him, commit your way to him. Commit is quite a strong word. That's what you do when you get married. You know, you commit. If I say I'm committed, I'm not, you know, then it's pretty serious what you're saying. So I, I think also what I wanted to show you there is the contrast of what you're being asked to do. Trust and do good. Commit are like very sort of serious and um, very, like, I've got to set myself. You know, I've got to like, if I, if I want to get fit or if I want to, if I want to change something about myself, there's a commitment I need to get into. There's a process. There's steps I need to take. But also, I need to delight in the Lord. You know, delighting is like jumping around, having a... You know, it's different. So God is not saying you only, there's only one way. He's providing us with a range of ways where we can engage with him, and through that we can receive victory. And you can see there... Uh, you're going to dwell in the land. You're going to have the desires of your heart. That one, the righteousness will, will make the justice of your cause shine like the noonday sun. I mean, the sun is quite bright in the sky, right? So that means God's going to possibly elevate you as you push in and you, and you sow into the things and say, Lord, I'm, I could fret about this, but I'm not going to. I'm going to follow these principles that you've laid down in the psalm. You might become quite visible. That's actually what it says there. The justice of your cause like the noonday. And of course, verse 8 there, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. James, I think it says, I'm not sure where in James, that the anger of man cannot bring about the work of God. So although anger is, a, I'm not going to go into all the, all the stories about anger, but although anger is a very legitimate emotion, this is telling us to refrain from anger. To refrain from anger, turn from wrath. Okay, so you could fret... You're encouraged not to fret. You're encouraged to practice these disciplines, which are a range of disciplines, not just one-dimensional. But I've got to say to you that I think if, if you've watched the Star Wars movies, uh, you know, the, the New Hope, the first Star Wars movie, the Jedi Knight becomes apparent, and then in the second movie, the Empire strikes back, you know, because now they've seen you. You're rising up. You're following the Lord. So the Empire, which is... The evil one will strike back. And what does it say here? I mean, this, is a pretty, this is pretty hectic, some of the things it says. They plot against the righteous. They gnash their teeth at him. I mean, you must get pretty, you must get pretty aggressive and pretty worked up for somebody to start gnashing their teeth. You know? They draw the, bow and be, uh, draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. This type of lifestyle that God is encouraging and David is encouraging us to live into is going to more than likely attract some very interesting responses in your life. It really is. So like with the new year, we do start off very excited with a lot of enthusiasm. With this, the, and then sometimes this wanes quite quickly when we encounter the first little bit of opposition. But then we've got to go back to the first slide. So don't be surprised when you start channeling your life, when you start setting. You know, like when Jesus said, he set his face towards Jerusalem. When you set your face and you set your heart and say, Lord, I'm choosing to make this the ultimate authority of life, faith, and practice. Don't be surprised when it attracts attention. It brings about things. Know that you have the 
you have the tools in the psalm and many other places in the Bible to be able to address that and to persevere through that. Okay? So righteous living exposes the wicked. That's what it really does. It shows them up. The light comes into the darkness and reveals what's in the darkness. Um, and so it, it attracts, it may not be as violent or as brutal as this, but it may, it may attract criticism, attempts to embarrass you. Um, talks about taking people to, you know, when people are taken to court in the psalm. But, of course, again, the Lord, that's why I've put it there, the Lord upholds the righteous. It's the Lord that deals with these things. So we, are, we, we can progress ourselves in the knowledge that God is fully aware and, and that he acts on our behalf. Yeah? And then this psalm really does a very interesting thing. It, it, comp- it says that the, the life of the wicked is very, very short. Um, and of course, it's compar- uh, the, the reason the psalmist is talking about that is because he's comparing it to eternity. He's, com- he's saying that actually this life that we live is extremely short relative to eternity and spending the rest of, and spending forever with God. And, and in fact, when weighed up, it's going to have very little value. Okay? And it, it says it there, verse 18, on the one side, uh, what, what does it say about the righteous? The days of the righteous are known to the Lord. What does that mean when he says, I know you? It means, I've saved you. You know there's a scripture somewhere in, in the Gospels where people come before God and they say, well, we cast out demons. And he says, depart from me, I did not know you. So this know you in the psalm is a very special no. It's just not like, how's it I know you? It's, I've paid for you. I died on the cross for you. Welcome. Um, and they are known the inheritance will endure forever. That means your inheritance will endure forever. Once you die... As a Christian, we know that that's just walking through a door, really. Actually, that's what it is. It's going from one room into another room. That your inheritance endures forever. But it says there, the wicked, they are like grass. They soon wither. They are like green plants. They, they soon die away. And then it's even more violent. They are cut off. They will vanish like smoke. So God's saying, actually, in the scheme of things, at the end, me as the risen Lord, looking over all this, the, the, the life of the righteous I know it. I've bought it with a price, and it goes on forever. But the life of the wicked is actually, it's like grass, man. I mean, people cut the grass. I mean, have you tried to watch smoke? How quickly in a fire, there's the smoke, and then it's gone. So, so we are being encouraged in the psalm that it's very, very short. That's what you are seeing, and that is before you. One day you will know and understand that it was actually like the flick. It was like that, you know? So... Um, and transgressors will altogether be destroyed. So it's not as if they will just fade. They will actually be destroyed. The Lord will act. So, so that's the end game here. That, that end game we can all put in our hearts and say that is the end game. With certainty, that's the end game. If I've placed the, my trust in the Lord, if I'm hoping Christ in me, the hopeful, that is the end game. There's no debate. can't be changed. And... So this is probably the most important thing I'd like to share with you guys. That I said in the beginning, the psalm was a personal psalm because of the tension that it has in me. So it's personal to me when people do things to me where they wrong me, where I'm disturbed and traumatized by the wrong to others. God says, if you think it's personal to you, how personal is it to me? And I want to just tell you about, if you think about Abraham, who was promised Isaac, and I think... 
I think Abraham waited about 13 years, 10 to 13 years, for Isaac to come along. So you can imagine now when Isaac was finally born into Abraham's family, the joy, the love, the sense of relief, the sense of, of absolute wonder and appreciation for this little boy um, that everybody for miles around knew that this is, this is the apple of Abraham's eye. This, this, is, this is the long awaited. This is the beautiful son. You can imagine the affection and the love. And then what happens? God says, you've got to take him up the mountain. God says, the, God feels the same way about Jesus as what Abraham felt about Isaac. This is my beloved son. This is my special son. And you know what? When I took my son up the mountain, was he spared? And why did I do that for all of us? So if, if this is personal to me, it is infinitesimally more personal to God. God invested himself. He gave up he that song, How Great the Father's Love Was. Can you imagine? I get a bit emotional, I'm sorry, but can you imagine the, the, that beautiful harmony between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in heaven, that beautiful dance, creation, and then on the cross, one of those is rejected, torn out of that threesome, torn out of it, rejected. Why? So that we could come in, so that we could be saved. So if these trials and temptations, if these wicked things that we try to work through in our lives are personal to us, Trust me, they are, not trust me, trust the word, they are infinitesimally, intimately, genuinely, with every part of emotion, just as personal to God. Um, and, I, and I just want to then put up that Spurgeon quote, because Spurgeon says, We know not which most to wonder at, the faithfulness of God or the unbelief of his people. He keeps his promise a thousand times, and yet the next trial makes us doubt him. I mean, I'm not trying to lay a heavy on all of us, but I often I have to just sit there sometimes before God and say, Lord, you know, again, <laughs> again, I just, I totally missed it. Eh? I really did, Lord. I completely did not grasp the radicalness, the depth, the, the extent of the majesty of what your son did on the cross for me. You know, long before I was even born, you did that. So, so put that in your hearts and then actually... I'm almost finished. I wanted to just talk to us about Isaiah 61. Uh, in Luke 4, Jesus, he's been tempted by Satan. He comes out of that place and he goes into the synagogue and he opens the scroll and he reads Isaiah 61 where it says there that um, he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. To, um, in fact, I'm, can I just read it quickly because I can't do justice to the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm going to stop there. I'm, uh, there's actually another one more sentence I want to read, but I just want to stop there and say, so Jesus came and said, for all these traumas that we are all facing, for all of those people that we see who are dragged away, who are treated unjustly, I have come. And I, we are living now in the year of the Lord's favor. It's not a year. The year there is, is metaphorical, of course. Metaf metaphorical, of course. It's a season of God's favor. But 
it stops there, but the, actually the next verse says, so it's, I'm just going to back up a little bit and say, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and listen to this, and the day of the vengeance of our God. And there in verse in verse 8 of that same text, it says, For I, the Lord, love justice. And in verse 28 of Psalm 37, it says, For the Lord loves justice. So it goes further. For us, there's the good news, but the Lord also says, Nothing, no one gets away with anything. No one. You don't get away and I don't get away with the wicked things that I have to repent for, and nor will the wicked. So the justice of the Lord, I'm a just God. I came and I, paid, I sent my son to pay the price, but there will be justice for every person on, the, on earth at the end of the age. You know? so, yeah. so I trust this has encouraged you. I trust that it gives you something to just um, to set yourself on as the year comes and as the challenges of the year come. And um, I just pray that the, the, the Lord would, would bless you. So, in fact... Let me do that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are blown away by the richness, by the, the depth, by the, by the extent of your love, your kindness, your compassion for us, Lord. And Lord, this morning we, we come before you and we, we lift our hearts up to you. Lord, maybe there are those of us who, who are going through injustices at the moment. Maybe there are those of us who have perpetrated injustices and need to repent before you. But we ask, Lord, as always, for your grace and your mercy. And we thank you that you came to bind up the brokenhearted. Thank you that you are strong, Lord, that you, are, that you, you, you will bring to pass. You, you will take us through, Father God. You will, we can hope that you will take us through to meet you in heaven one day, to be reconciled to you. And we pray that as we go forth from here, Lord, may we be instruments of your kindness, of your compassion and your goodness. In your precious name, amen.